1: Chains cryptocurrencies. Three guys played it talking bitcoin no fee. That's the free Bitcoin podcast insane. And adoption is still the only thing thing thing. Hey
2: everybody, welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast episode number two hundred and thirty-four and I am your first
3: host Marcello and I'm host number 2 Demteric
0: <laughs> and I'm host number 3 Dr. Corey Petty uh should be a fun should be a fun episode today happy yeah, december I'm, I'm looking forward to it happy it's crypto December's winter today? it's officially crypto winter that's right mm-hmm. oh the weather outside is weather that's what it was i was trying to uh it's a it's making fun of like the Rick and Morty episode. I was trying to remember what that was uh, the other day, and I couldn't remember it. Mm. Well, like I, brought up,
2: I brought up Rick and Morty at Thanksgiving, and my family called me a nerd because I was naming geek shows that no one's heard about.
0: And I was like, all right. Sounds like your family's a bunch of losers. And they live under <laughs> a rock. <laughs> Yeah, I hope you know you can
3: defend your family, Cello.
1: you just gonna...
3: <laughs> no. no. I give the most
2: mainstream pop culture references, and then they throw me under the bus. So I can't help them. <laughs> I can't help. They're dead to me.
3: You, you, guys have no honor.
2: I'm done. With other, you like other people, like they they come out to their family on Thanksgiving. I just name drop like Rick and Morty, and that just ruins the relationship.
3: <laughs> and away we go. Hey,
2: um, and that's the news. Let's Let's tell uh,
3: everybody about our. uh, We got a fucking book.
0: We got a a fucking book.
2: We got a fucking book dropping on you guys. It's in my hand. All right. Uh, (laughs) I'm flipping through it right now. We have the director of analysis for the Foundation for Defense of Democracy Center on Sanctions and Illicit Finance. And we have Porn Stars in here. It's a good (laughs) book. It's got everything you want in life that has to do with crypto. That's right. It's got a foreword in here written by Nathaniel Whittemore. It has some podcast snippets from early episodes. It's got an introduction, and it's got over 120 quotes from a lot of different people, from Joseph Lubin to Andreas to... Don't God.
3: The base god mm-hmm. Image and heap. Do we call this the first edition, right? Because we're gonna do this like
0: Yeah, probably. Sure. Well, what is it? Tell me what like tell me what it's called so they can actually find it.
2: Yeah. Well, so it's gonna be up on Amazon next week. Um it's called Can You Describe Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain in Ten Words or Less? Um and it'll be at Barnes and Nobles and Amazon next week. It's gonna have a very fair price point, and uh, it's very comprehensive. I think. Nice.
3: It's good. I think it's good, and it's self-published, so support us. Do we get to like consider ourselves authors because of this? Because like some of the snippets from the roundtables are in Considering there. Considering I didn't
0: say a word in that entire book, uh, I'm not an author.
3: Well, no, no, no. Like the roundtables are in there. Are they? Yeah, at the end of the book, cello oh, put some put three cool from the roundtables in there.
0: Maybe I maybe so, I can then. consider myself an orator.
3: Yeah. Do we get like to put that on our LinkedIn orator? <laughs> Yeah. Upcoming tour.
2: All right. So this is
3: this is makes a
0: good Christmas present. Yeah, it does. Yeah, man. If you got big stockings, yeah. you can put it in your stocking. That's for sure. Yep. So what do you want to talk well, about today? Well,
2: that he was going to plug what we do at the top We just the did. Show.
0: We do books. That's what okay. we do now. Oh, I We're actually all have about a talking books. Point,
2: what? I have a talking point. And it's going to seem that? kind of trivial, but I wanted to talk yeah. about the DJ Khaled Floyd Mayweather. <laughs> I know uh, it's trivial. It's not trivial at all. However, I frequent a lot of music blogs during the week, so this news hit me in the face about ten times. And the reason why I wanted to bring it up is because every time a a music journalist began to report the story, they would say, "Hey, I knew." I knew anything related to cryptocurrency was a scam, dot, dot, dot. Uh, And then he begins the story. And a lot of people are reading this, and they're associating those same thoughts as the journalists.
0: So they basically feel as though they've been vindicated that all the feelings and doubts they had about crypto and being wholly ignorant about it have been, like, legitimized based on them being mm. associated with these scam coins.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I told you so. I, I just I wanted to bring to light how damaging that story is to a wide range of young people and misinformed people
3: more than we probably think. I mean, yeah, it's 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 pretty damaging. I mean, I don't know, not for
0: people that know about crypto, but only the people that don't know about crypto. Well, right. I guess let me give you like a like a, this is how it happened type of scenario and why people who see it don't don't see all of the stuff that happened beforehand it's like you had the ICO boom and in the early days um, anybody who had an ICO had the attention of everyone in the in the at least Ethereum space and crypto space but mostly um, and so they didn't really have to do a lot of advertising to get a lot of people to participate in their ICO because everyone had a bunch of you know, newly um more valuable cryptocurrency that they wanted to spend their money on something else and put it back into the ecosystem so they just participated in almost every single ico and then like the the boom happened when we standardized the erc20 token and then everyone could make an ico and not really know what's going on and so that basically meant you had this massive cambrian explosion of people trying to sell tokens and it then became impossible for those who wanted to participate to keep track of all the projects and so in order to get people to understand that you were doing an ico you had to start spending a lot of money on advertising and then came all of the scams who were just trying to take advantage of the hype and they spent all of their budget on advertising and they brought in people like and, and they brought in people like dj Khaled and floyd mayweather to hype their coin to start to get the people who had no idea what was going on but could throw money at them just to make money and an exit. And mm-hmm. that's that's basically why the people who don't understand this space whatsoever have that opinion is because their only exposure is from the projects that spent all of their advertising money on getting people to advertise to people who don't understand this concept just to make money. They weren't trying to come at the core base of people who get it.
2: But unlike but unlike Paris Hilton and Jamie Fox, DJ Khaled, and Floyd Mayweather just had bad timing. No, the SEC. I think
0: they they ha- they happen to be the ones that were reached out. I mean, th- but TI was it the game? Yeah, the game also got this this type of yeah, scenario, right?
2: Paragon and with with Paragon, Paragon. But the SEC is like really strict now, and I think they actually accepted money. So I'd yeah, say it's, it's team-
0: unlucky on their part, or or bad based on their due diligence uh, to like not vet the types of things they're accepting money from. And the other ones are just lucky or haven't been banned by the SEC yet. Mm -hmm.
3: Well, the thing about the SEC is what it seems like following these headlines is that they don't really have strong ground to stand on. So they're just suing people left and right and trying to regulate by bully. Like it's basically the regulation by the threat of, you know court proceedings
0: no i think it's more along the lines of they're backlogged and they have to go through and do a lot of work and due diligence on on figuring out whether or not these things are scam coins or violations of the sec or securities law and it just takes them a while to come up and say yep we we went through this one properly or we feel this one so we're going to go after them now they can't do all of them at the same time because there's only like a limited amount of people who can look at these things
3: but you saw the case that they lost right yeah like That's what I mean is they've lost one and I I see them losing a lot more to the fact that crypto is in that gray area and they don't have any stern
0: precedence to stand on. Crypto is more general than what their guidelines show. And so when you build on top of it, if you do so in a certain way, then you become a security because the technology is more general than just a security or not a security. It can be or it can't be. It It depends depends on how you use
2: it. The media holds the bad headlines for the bear market to manipulate how people feel as well. Because it just seems like it's just beating a dead horse, you know? Yeah. It's bad bad enough that we're in a winter and now bad headlines come out.
0: Well, yeah. More and more bad headlines. The good headlines aren't really. Maybe we're in a winter because people knew this and sold beforehand. And it's just a continuous thing. Like I don't know, there's a lot of like potential that like a lot of big players understood that this was happening beforehand and just sold a bunch of money and, and without anyone else knowing. The thing that sucks the most,
3: and this could just be like a general like rule of thumb for life, is that like there's only a few good actors in the space, and then as soon as somebody finds something to take advantage of and bastardize, they will as hard as possible and then the few good actors are just what is it like the good apples in the bunch you don't even get to them because it's just a bunch of bullshit and that's what sucks is because there were legitimate icos and legitimate um you like utilitarian tokens that were they're trying to do something that's new and innovative and increasing to the robustness of the space but then you have paragon coin and dj callan and floyd mayweather's Dumb as fuck token, and then all these other <laughs> tokens that are like eggnog token, and they come in and they do all the dumb shit, and it just it's so loud that the the few companies that are doing right, they just kind of get I don't know, commandeered. Everything they do gets commandeered. It's sad. Well, that's what's yeah. Go ahead, Chela.
2: Oh, and then I was reading uh this APOP tweet where he said that you know three fun VCS or managers went under, and he says, "Let let the great bear market purge begin." Like, is it cool that people are losing their jobs? I don't understand. Is, I think it's. A hedge fund...
0: I mean, I think it's one of those.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't it's, understand.
0: Like, everyone's like celebrating, like yeah. like celebrating the like the downfall of a lot of stuff. I mean, yeah, I th- we've been talking about this is going to happen, and the people who didn't make like smart plays or tried to take too much advantage of the hype. Uh, are now gonna start reaping what they sow. Sue, sowed, mm-hmm. sowing, sowed. Who knows? Yep. <laughs> sowed. <laughs> and and like we're see, we're actually seeing it happen now. And I don't know if that's like a celebration of uh, getting rid of the people who were too greedy and only leaving the people like the you know, the true signal and getting rid of the noise. And that's kind of where this idea of celebration comes from, or it's just people trying to find something to celebrate in this in this time.
1: Mm.
3: A lot of companies overextended their roundhouse when they were fighting Sagat, and they got that trip kick. Yep. And that's what happens. Don't overextend your roundhouse. You got to be up in Sagat's face if you can do a roundhouse. How do you overextend a roundhouse? Well, there's a range. There's a hit range on Sagat's hitbox. And if you if you do the roundhouse and you're a little too far out, he's got that long trip kick, and it's fast. It'll fuck you up. It'll fuck you up proper. Sound so, technical.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> yeah.
3: Um, I don't know. I don't really have any talking points. I'm kind of not even. It's pretty blatant that I'm getting slowly more and more obsessed with the Lightning Network. But I almost feel obligated to because we talked about it for like years. Years. <laughs> years. And then it is happening. You're kind of like, watching now, it unfold now yeah and nobody's even excited there all at all and i'm like guys this is
0: what's interesting about it is like i don't think people realize like all the new types of things you can do with bitcoin unless it's like happening and so because lightning is bitcoin it's like literally the same thing just a just a transport layer on top Mm -hmm. um it it's it's interesting that there are so many different things you can do but since we're not seeing them being implemented then no one cares yet or like because like you know the money it's still money you're still just using bitcoin and transferring value you're not it's not like ethereum where like there's all these different kinds of use cases you can try and experiment with and do things in smart contracts like like more more general smart contracts if you're going to be technical and pedantic but like it's not it's not that new it's just better Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense and so it's just yeah. going to be a while for it to be like, like in 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 uh, point of sale boxes all over the world, or you know, it's on everyone's website using Lightning Network, or, or that's the general way to use small incremental changes and in, in transfer of value using Bitcoin. Then it'll probably be like, oh yeah, Lightning. Network, that's what you use. It's the obvious way to do it. Mm-hmm. It'll just be prolific.
3: But isn't li- Lightning Labs like spearheading all this? There's a few. Mm-hmm. There's, yeah, there's a few. Lightning Labs is the big one, though, I think, with Elizabeth Stark. Roast Beef. um, Yeah, it's been over two years since Roast Beef has been on the show. You should probably get him back. Yeah. He talks so fast. I'm kind of scared to get him back because he is incredibly intelligent. He talks at the speed of sound. So, like, my brain is like steps behind. Do you wish he talked like that kid on Malcolm in the Middle? What kid on Malcolm? The the little little black kid that breathes every
0: time. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It would help. (laughs) <laughs> it would definitely help <laughs> me keep up. <sighs> yeah, yeah. So we're we're doing something different on the back end of the show. Uh, so we're going to keep the front end a little short. We're going to be taking in live calls from people in our Slack to just ask questions, uh, talk with this bullshit, whatever. And so it's it's very experimental. We don't know how it's going to work out. Uh, I'm I'm kind of excited about it. See how it goes.
3: Yeah, I'm pretty pumped. It's gonna be dope. I just can't wait to hit the button and seeing if anybody comes in to, to to the to the show. So, anyways, nice trans transition there. Let's do the go to the interview. Make it happen. I wasn't a part of this, but it is oh. uh, Trent.
2: Is it McConaughey? Trent
3: McConaughey. <laughs> Trent. <laughs> McConaughey. I wasn't sure. Wasn't sure are uh, from uh, Ocean, we're just from ocean Protocol. We can't really say your last name, and I don't think we said it in the interview. <laughs> <laughs> but he is the CEO of the Ocean Protocol. Uh, there's an ocean of data out there, and this is a this is a business to business play. Um, they're basically trying to help businesses uh, make more money from the data that they're creating. Kind of similar to some some of the people we've had on the network in the past that try to empower the user. So we sell our own data. This is kind of a similar play.
0: He's Ethereum got a lot data. of
3: followers on Twitter too. So,
2: well, yeah, he's, he's, to
0: he's been in the space for a while. He's, he's done a lot of other projects that's kind of, he's, he knows what he's talking about. That's for sure. And so does the rest of his team.
3: Yeah, he's in the goon seer club.
2: He hangs yeah. out with them. So ocean like benefits data scientists the most, right?
3: Um, it feels like it in my cone is that's what it feels like it benefit the most. So. Let's let him talk about it. Yep. Uh, here it is. hello, everybody. Welcome back. Well, you've been listening to the episode, so you're already here, but we have an amazing, uh, amazing guest on the show today. Um, the founder of the ocean Pro the co-founder of the ocean protocol, a decentralized data exchange protocol to unlock data for AI. Um, this piqued my interest uh, because I'm slowly training to fight the robots one day and um, anything that's gonna help them become powerful. I wanna know their mysticism so I know how to to fight them. So thank you for coming on the show, Trent. Um, well, welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast.
4: Thanks for having me. Yes, and keep saying the word "robot." Robots are fun, or and scary, but it's definitely fun to talk about.
3: <laughs> yes, yeah. quite appropriately, you're wearing a Megatron T-shirt. The,
4: I am. So,
3: <laughs> um, there were options. You know, you could have went Optimus. Just
4: I play. I used to have an optimist T-shirt, but you know he's too popular. I, you know, some sometimes you have to just ask people to, you know, look at the opposite side just to see what it's like. Not even not necessarily if you agree, but you have to understand it.
0: A man willing to step outside of himself. Um, exactly. <laughs> there you go. Well, uh, let's get to, let's let's start this off by just explaining what like what is it? What what's the what's the point of it? How does it work? Well, wait, who's Trent? Before we do that, <laughs> <laughs> all right, even better. Who is who is Trent? Yeah. <laughs> Why is Trent? Here? Um. Yes,
4: um, sure. So, I mean, quick summary. I, I spent uh, almost twenty years uh, doing AI via um, two startups and a PhD, um, and before that, trained as an electrical engineer, computer scientist. Grew up in a farm, hacking computers. All this. So, sort of a, a lot of you know background in engineering and AI, um, and then spent the last five years working on blockchain and. Uh, various projects, Ascribe, Big BigQuery DB, and um, most recently the main focus is Ocean, and so that's a, a very quick background of Trent Town. Um, we can dive into more of that if you want later. Um, towards Ocean, um, this actually relates to the AI thing. Um, if you look, uh, you know, there, there's a few reasons, and probably that you know, let's talk about the why. Um, we all look at um, social media and you know use it a lot, Facebook and um, the other sites, Twitter, et etc. In fact, we connected on Twitter, but um, One amazing thing is, you know, if you think about Facebook, they are incentivized for us to share as much as possible all the time. Why? So that they can make better models of us, so they can um, serve up more ads that we click on. And that is their business model is to basically um, maximize the number of clicks on on, on ads, right? But what that means is they are super incentivized to get as much data as they can about us. Um, And it's not just Facebook, of course, it's Google and others. Um, You know, in Google, I don't know if you guys are aware, Google has sold your data to hundreds of companies. And um, that's that I'd like to mean, thousands of people. Every time you type every letter into Gmail, there's like a thousand eyes looking over your shoulder, looking looking down at Gmail, right? And to me, this is actually pretty uncool of Google. 10 years ago, you know, they had, don't be evil, don't be evil, but don't be evil died a long time ago. And now they're mining your data and become, have become one of the most valuable companies in the planet, right? So, you know, this this to me is actually, pretty not cool overall and it's but it's a a, at the core of it it's because of incentives and it's hold on um, a second
0: something's calling me and coming through my headphones and destroying the audio sorry no worries (laughs) it's like google hangouts just came through my headphones and destroyed all audio
4: yeah google knows
0: what we were talking about jesus Uh christ
4: But actually, that is true too. Google Docs—they actually um, they automatically monitor in real time and can kick you out in real time. So we do probably it's crazily. It might sound crazy, but they do kick people out in real time based on what they what they write. Anyway, I'm not sure what to say yet, but that will come. Um, there was a really cool example last fall. Um, uh, a wildlife reporter for National Geographic was writing about wildlife crime, and she was kicked out of her account. And, and she's like, "What's going on?" And their classifiers, their automatic AI models had detected that she was doing um, activities that weren't in line with their policy. So it misclassified, of course, but with that misclassification, it kicked her out and she's like, what's going on? A few days later, Google said, um, hey, sorry about that. We had a glitch in our system, we fixed it now. So they you know, they made the classifier more accurate, but they still retain the right to kick you out anytime. Right? And um, sort of the heart of this is the way that the businesses are structured, they're structured to get more data because AI loves data and they're incentivized to keep get as much data as they can and hoard it for themselves because you know, Google doesn't want to give data to Facebook, doesn't want to give data to Microsoft, etc. Right. So there's sort of this have data folks and the don't have data folks. And that's really a problem. It's, it's leading to like massive wealth creation for a very small number of people, rather than, you know, um, you know, the ideal, which is, you know, equalizing the opportunity um, for everybody in society. Right. And mm-hmm. t- so. You know, uh, this is sort of the societal dynamics that's happening and it's getting worse. You know, you talked about the robots taking over. That is happening in the sense of, you know, people losing jobs to self-driving trucks, to self-driving cars, to um, automated retail like Amazon, Go stores, et cetera, right? So these are all like massive problems and it's only going to get worse. Um, You know, the inequality is going to get worse as AI takes away more jobs. And so it was sort of in this sort of scenario that we were asking, okay, um, what can we do about it? And the AI folks themselves don't have... You know a, a big enough toolbox when you start to add tools from the world of crypto, then you actually can, and that's really what led to ocean realizing that we can use tools from crypto in particular incentives um, in order to um, equalize opportunities and to sort of shift away the power from a small number of handful uh, of organizations to a much broader set and the linchpin is AI
0: hmm. okay yeah, so uh we had an iTunes review have said, because uh, I, I, I had said a lot of that stuff, what you just said previously episode and an iTunes review, basically told me I was full of shit, so I don't know yeah. what to
4: say about that. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, no, I, I really want actually, but um, so th- there's a few, like, sort of, you can do sort of a logic on this, too, right? So the first thing is um, does AI love data? Yes, you know, right? And it's very clear, you know, um, it, uh, if you look at, uh, if, if you have in my very first job doing uh, AI, where I was getting paid back in the mid-90s, um i was given a data set of twenty thousand data points and in this case i had to classify it was audio radar data and I had to say okay i had to make the model guess is this birds flying by is it people walking is it a tank driving etc and i spent uh four months uh, coming up with a model um that would do this automatically and my first model you know that i came up with in the first week or two was 55 percent accurate so pretty crappy right like flip a coin it's gonna be right half the time mm-hmm. and a- after um four months of toil i got it where it was um if i recall correctly um Uh, 75% accurate. So Hmm. after four months, 75% accurate. And that's still terrible, right? Because one in four times it's going to fail. It's going to misclassify. So it wasn't deployable, right? And this is actually how people did AI in the um, 90s. Um, So with that, um, you know, you can't really do a lot. But what happened was, starting in the early 2000s, researchers at Microsoft and Google and others realized, hey, rather than... Just try to get slightly better algorithms or even better, better algorithms. Let's just have way more data. And not just 2x, but 10x or a thousand X more data. So then your error rates go from 25% down to 2.5%, down to 0.25%, et cetera, to mm. do things like, you know, fully trustworthy facial recognition, all these other things that we can actually ship and deploy applications. So, and there's actually lots of, um, you know, studies on this. Uh, Google published one in 2007, I believe, uh, called the unreasonable effectiveness of data, right? So, mm-hmm. once Google realized this, it was like the game was on for them to gather way more data. So, they call themselves an AI company, but at the heart, they're a data company, right? And then, you know, like, uh, it's pretty straightforward. If you can have a higher click-through rate, then you make more money, right? No one can dispute that logic. So, the question is, can a more accurate model like, are they getting more data? Yes. Can a more um, Does more data lead to more accurate model? Yes. Does more accurate model lead to higher click-through rate? Yes. Um, does higher click-through rate lead to more money? Yes. So um, it's not um, BS, it's actually just you connect the dots and that's how it works, right? So th- the heart of it all then is many, you know, Google, Facebook, et cetera, they are incentivized to gather our data in order to make a lot more money at, at the expense of society itself, right? And that is that is the heart of it. Of course, they're going to deny it and, you know, give FUD and all that. Um, it's certainly not in their interest to talk about it, right? And their challenges, that's the heart of their business model too, right? They can't go and change yeah. it overnight because that their sharehold, their shareholders will crucify them, right? So so how um, does
3: the OSHA protocol come through and sweep some of that power back and put it into the user? Like, I mean, Google's basically turning me into a product. They're getting all this data on me. And they know they know where I'm spending Which my money
0: it's all free.
3: Yeah, because I'm yeah. the product, right? And exactly. I, to an extent, I don't mind if I were getting paid like I would. I would, <laughs> find, I would exactly. give you all the data you would want if if I got paid a little bit. But how does how does Ocean Protocol kind of take Google's model and uh, flip it, flip it on its head?
4: Yeah, so the heart of it um, is incentives. So Ocean, the core incentive is it's trying to maximize the supply of relevant data. And to, to do so, it uh, pays you in Ocean Tokens um, um, on average whenever you serve up data for free or, or otherwise. So you can actually serve data to the commons that other people download for free and you can on average get paid. This is because this is how Ocean defines what's valuable. So by analogy, you know, you guys know Bitcoin very well, of course. And Bitcoin at the heart of it, it's actually maximizing an objective function, um, which is maximize the security of the Bitcoin network. And it defines security as the the difficulty to unroll the Bitcoin transaction log, which in turn is the hash rate. And so um, basically, um, and then how does it maximize the hash rate? It says, Um, let's say it it, it pays you every time you contribute to the hash rate on average, right? So if you have 10% of the Bitcoin hash rate, um, then in the next 10 minutes, you have um, an expected uh, gain of 12.5 Bitcoins times 10%. So your expected gain is 1.25 Bitcoins every 10 minutes, right? So um, Bitcoin is paying you um, proportional to how much security you're adding compared to other people adding security to the Bitcoin network because Bitcoin defines security as hash rate. So that's actually how Ocean operates too. So just like Bitcoin has this objective function, maximize security, Ocean has an objective function, maximize relevant data, supplied to the network. And then it pays you if you supply relevant data to the network. So it's actually like deeply inspired by Bitcoin. Um, it's kind of amazing as we were designing Ocean, we kept going back to the Bitcoin white paper and discovering all these like little nooks and crannies of just like amazing ideas that, that Satoshi had, that Team Satoshi had. And... Um, uh, so like we bow down to Satoshi all the time. It's it's kind of cool, but that's really what Ocean is doing. And by doing this, then um, you don't have, people can be supplying data to the network um, that is the common data and so on. And then uh, side by side with that though, we have to actually reconcile with privacy. So if I have personal data and I want to make money from it, but I don't want to like give up my privacy. What you need to do is you say, you need to say, hey, people can build models from me, but um, that model building needs to come to me. So bring the compute to the data itself. So um, uh, let's say that there's some neural network being built uh, that is modeling like something to do quick through rate or something else. It's going to update that model um, uh, from me only locally. So So there's no like one single entity, no company or whatever that's holding this model. And instead, it's just being used. It's sitting out there in, in, in the decentralized cloud being used to predict. And my data never, ever leaves my phone or my laptop or whatever if I choose. So those are kind of the two key things, A, the incentives to supply data, and B, um, uh, privacy preserving compute by bringing the compute to the data. And those are really the two core things um, at the heart of of ocean.
0: So I got this this odd question because right now people are just like exuding data that they don't really know they're doing, right? They're just like, just they're based off their normal action, their Fitbit, their interaction with different applications on the internet, their phone, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They don't know. What's valuable to them they don't know what's yeah. valuable information according to what they're doing just by being a human uh yeah. if they're to own their data and then try to make uh, incentives like try to try to make money off of it how are they going to know what to keep what to not keep what to what to hold where is it stored etc 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 there's a lot of there's a lot of things that happen based on this valuable data that the, the average person has no idea about and so how, how do you yeah, reform absolutely. that
4: yeah, so, um, so two, two parts I, I'm going to add to this. First of all, the go-to-market for Ocean is not going directly for the social media um, uh, giants to start with because it's going to be um, not very strong incentives yet. And so uh, the, first go- the main go-to-market is actually connecting the people with data with the people who need data. Um, so the people who... Have data are big enterprises all, all the sort of fortune 500 except for google and facebook and a handful of others that are good at ai because what happened um all those people uh, all those fortune 500s they know that they need ai in order to uh, get value from the data but they, they have a heck of a time hiring ai researchers because they're just not as um, fashionable as google or, or facebook and so and all these researchers are going off to start their own companies because they know that ai is valuable then they go and do these companies And they're like, oh crap, we need data. (laughs) So you have all these AI startups that are just crying for data and you have all these enterprises that need data and there's not a good substrate to connect them. So what if there was a really good substrate to connect these data halves with the AI halves um, via marketplaces and via commons? And that's really what Ocean is about. It's a substrate to enable hundreds of marketplaces and data commons to to connect together and have this, um, to to extract value from data in whatever ways it is. Um, But it'll probably be a lot of B2B stuff at first uh, and then it'll um, end up in the consumer end of things. So, in the consumer end, the second part of the question, and directly to answer your question, when the thefts happen, um, there's already some good preliminary signs to have an understanding of how much it will be worth. So, um, from the st- stats I've seen, Facebook is making fifty dollars per person per year from from your data, right? Damn. That's Facebook. <laughs> Wait yeah. a second. Let me soak that in for yeah. a second. Yeah. So there's Facebook, and then uh, you know, and then you take you know, you add the data that the money that Google is making from you and some others. And, and that's just the average, right? So, you know, people who are living in the Western world with in the higher um, upper middle class, et cetera, it's going to be more than 500. So um, so that's a start. Um, and my stats might be a bit off, but overall, the, the reason I like th- these stats are really tough to get a hold of. And it's really tough to sort of figure out exactly what, what these numbers are. And that's why we're not relying on it um, initially. But I do see that over time. Uh, once the sort of system gets going and these marketplaces start emerging, then it's going to be, um, straightforward for a bunch of startups to try experiments, to see what works and what doesn't, right? And also the existing incumbents, um, like the Fitbits of the world, um, et cetera, where they, where they can say, Hey, you know, if you want, you can try this out. You can see how much you want to charge for it. And who knows what the pricing will be, right? Right now, um, you know, people don't know how to price data because, uh, the data, you know, that's kind of out there in the sort of data economy, it's a very shadow data economy, um, you know you it's not out there in the open it's um sort of traded back and forth via things like whatsapp acquisitions and stuff right so you can't this is why it's really tough to get stats on but once you have an open permissionless data economy then people can conduct a lot of experiments around the price of data and that can be you know personal data it can be iot data it can be whatever right and the citizens themselves can say hey i'm gonna sell this for a fixed price or i'm gonna sell it for royalties you know 25 percent of the revenue that you get from me um you know, then like from my data, I want twenty five percent, right? So you can people can try different things and we'll see what happens in the end. So we want to make it really easy for, for these experiments to happen, but Ocean itself isn't relying on those sort of social media cases um in the near term. This is really more that's more of like, you know, three year, five year, seven year sort of thing. In the near term it's much more about very specific use cases where there's like clearer wins, things like autonomous driving and medical um health data.
1: Mm. Do you
3: think celebrities get to charge premium on their data?
4: Uh, uh, probably. I'd pay more for your data. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> nice. If I were
3: a celebrity. Yeah. I'm sure Kevin Hart would try to. I, I'm sure he's going. If he heard this episode, he'd go to Facebook like tomorrow and say, if you're not making $300 a day off of me, then <laughs> something's not right.
4: Yeah, is it fifty right
3: dollars I'm st- I'm still shook on that fifty dollars per person per day
4: no 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 not per day per, per, per year right it, it can okay yeah I mean I was gonna
3: be- say that's on un- that's an ungodly amount
1: of money yeah um,
4: no, because you can run rough numbers right like what is the revenue of Facebook in a given year and then what's the total average number of users and you can work backwards um that's yep. one way of thinking about it right so um oh yeah,
0: yeah could have done that I guess well yeah so uh you guys aren't the only one doing something like this i mean there's a lot of people that are trying to like give back the give give back the data to the people uh and tim berners lee the founder of the internet is, is one of them have you heard of solid and the, and the project he's working on
4: uh yeah so overall that project is complimentary um and you know so so tim you know he obviously like also one of these people like i like totally uh, a fan of, you know, inventing the World Wide Web and ro- not just inventing it, but helping to roll it out and helping to guide its development over the years with the W3 and so on. So th- that's really amazing, right? Um, and, uh, you know, Web 1.0 had all these wonderful democratic ideals, right? And and these uh, manifestos around open source, et cetera, just really that's wonderful. Yeah. And, right? and and then, you know, Web 2.0 came along and was supposed to be all about, like, connecting to others and stuff. But somewhere along the way, it lost its way, right? And it was sort of like, um, a frog in a pot where, you know, the water started getting warmer and warmer and warmer. And before we know it, we were boiling, but we're still in this pot, right? And that's where we are right now. So Web 2.0, uh, sort of with the cloud and social media, it actually took a massive, you know, uh, side 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 turn where we kind of fell off a cliff or got boiled without realizing it, right? And and many people have recognized this, you know, and, and Tim was one of them, and he's been working on the Solid project for years. And Solid is really, um, uh, you know, it's a complementary technology that, um, improves upon some of the aspects of the, the web protocols, um, where it's about like pointing to different data um, pieces of data and then um, knowing that they're more immutable, et cetera. So it's complementary to things. It's, it's a similar technology to things like IPFS and so on. So uh, within ocean, um, uh, the solid technology um, c- can be uh, one of the um, types of protocols that ocean points towards. So, and the cool thing is, I think it's wonderful, you know, here we are, um, you know, heading towards Web3, which is trying to recover the democratic ideals of Web1 and the Internet before that. Um, And it's got some of the, you know, the founders of the Web, well, the founder of the Web and a bunch of other sort of um, early Web people, too. You know, people like um, Brewster Kahle and Wendy Hadamira at Mm -hmm. Internet Archive, right? And others, you know, it's a growing broad movement around Web3, you know, the new blood, folks like us who are new to the, the Web stuff. As well as the, the, uh, the some of the older guard too, and that, I think that's really wonderful.
0: Yeah, so I, I'd imagine oh. this is kind of like the incentivization layer that sits on top of something like that.
4: Exactly. Yeah. So um, so ocean adds incentives on top of solid is a good way of putting it.
3: Yeah. Okay. I think I have an outside of the box question. So let's say this is proven to work well, and I <clears throat> I can sell my data uh, and and start uh, making money from the data that I um, exude. As you put it, Corey, what's to keep me from like multiplying myself like multiple, man, and just like going in and making up fake data sets and then, you know, hitting them with some random number generator. It's some bounds on that puppy. And then all of a sudden there's a kind of same version as me, but it's not me and it's exuding the same amount of data and I'm just making revenue hand over foot. Just multiplying
4: yeah. myself. That's a great question, actually, right? And we call that civil downloads, right? And, and there's actually, a, you know, a variety of different interesting attacks that emerge, and we, we've been sort of compiling a list, and that list is, you know, pages long. Um, and and then we have um, answers to a lot of them, and some of them were like, you know what, if that emerges, when it emerges, then we will deal with it at the time, and here's some answers, but also the system, we want to keep it simple. So on your particular question of the sort of civil downloads, um... It, um, the the answer depends on whether uh, you're charging money for your data or whether the the net your, the network is paying. So if you're charging money for your data, and you make you know say ten clones of yourself, then um, the people that are buying the data, um, they're like, hey, this is garbage, and they'll just stop buying from you, right? So they'll notice and they'll be like, this is terrible. Uh, that it. You know, maybe not. Maybe you'll get away with a lot of it, right? Um, within um, the internet advertising business, um, um, uh, click fraud is a huge problem, right? Um, you know, some, some estimates put it at 50% of overall click-through rate, right? So, or even higher. So it's, it's a huge problem even now, but um, if a fraction of people where they're basically having these sort of fraudulent accounts are, are getting paid when they shouldn't be, well, so be it, you know, but hopefully it's a small fraction, right? Or even like PayPal or credit cards, they don't have 0% fraud, but they have a small amount of fraud that they can still keep sustaining themselves, right? So that's from the paid side. Now, from the free side, the network side, um, then the question is, uh, you know, if you make 10 copies of yourself and then you provide, you know, 10x as much data than if you did it on your own, are, um, can you get paid 10x as much, right? And um, I- initially, uh, if the, sim- the data is really, really simple, um, you'd have to, although to get paid in Ocean, um, the amount you get paid is a function of how much you have staked. So um, if you're going to have 10 different accounts, then you're going to have to spread your stake among 10 different accounts. So um, you're going to have massively diminishing returns, right? Um, yeah. And it's actually a log because it's encouraging gene diversity. So it's still in your interest to spread among 10 accounts. But, um, you know, going beyond, it probably won't make as much difference. Uh, that, the other thing, though, is if people start to notice that, hey, you know, um, you're, you're fraudulent, what they can do is they can actually um, post a challenge uh, at, with stake and say, hey, I think you're actually, um, you know, civil attacking the system. And if they post a challenge, then it, um, gets, um, there's a, a voting that happens uh, among the community. And they either decide that you were right or they were right. And if, if you were right, then um, you get to keep your block rewards, et cetera. And if they were right, they get to take it all. Right? Is that so, something, so that's, gonna...
0: is that, something that's, uh, that mirrors something like Truebit? I saw that he's one of your, your advisors of the company.
4: Uh yeah, it's very similar to the true bit challenge response. It's also very similar within uh TCRs, these, you know, um, mm-hmm. curated registries, mm-hmm. the challenge response like um adding an entry in there. So, this is all sort of challenge response with staking type mechanisms.
0: Uh, so, with with interactive challenges like that, you ha- you need to have people who watch the system basically who are just looking for people who are who are screwing up. Do you how does that fit into the protocol?
4: Yeah, so um basically, you know, we call these verifiers and they have to be incentivized to do so. So in our case, um uh, there's quite a few possible models, but the, the one um, that we're um, building towards is where uh, they are incentivized because if they see people uh, attacking in various ways, then um, like with the civil downloads, like we just talked about, then they see opportunities to make money. Right. So there could be that people make full time jobs just on being really, really good at finding other people attacking the system. Right. So, and there's going to be arms races back and forth. But this is not unlike all these dynamics that have developed on top of the world about web protocols, too. Right. And you know, when we talk about data itself, it's probably going to get really interesting and really rich sets of dynamics. That you know, it's going to be tough to predict. Think about on top of Bitcoin, BitTorrent, all these dynamics that have emerged of you know the different ways of doing search, and um, you know some of the the search providers that are you know um, pointing to um, content that's illegally downloaded, and they're kind of running away from the law, like um, and so on. And, You know, uh, so there's emergent things that are, um, you know, for good, emergent things that are illegal. Um, And with with Ocean, what we're really trying to do is bias towards um, all the the really for good stuff. And that's why, you know, we're spending a lot of time with initial use cases that are clearly really good for society and really good for, you know, all the actors involved. This is, you know, things like autonomous driving, things like um, better prediction of Parkinson's disease, et cetera. So that that
3: it'd be an interesting segue there, like the better predictions that that's where AI comes in, right? Because we haven't really touched on that yet. And you know how what's the link between um, you know people getting paid for and paying for people's data and that servicing uh, AI?
4: Yeah. So uh, the link is that. Um... AI is the, the linchpin. AI is really good at taking raw data and creating value of it somehow, value out of it somehow, right? Um, making <laughs> predictions um, for um, whatever. So, um, or, or the other way to frame it, Ocean itself is pretty stupid. It doesn't actually have itself AI algorithms or anything like that, right? But Ocean is incentivizing um, for making data available, um, such that AI models can use it, right? So it's a very AI aware design. But itself you know, doesn't have neural networks built in and, and so on. You know, there's networks that can supply training for that, et cetera. But itself it doesn't do it. So basically the value flow is you go from raw data to cleaning the data to building models from the, that cleaned data. And um once you have those models, those models um you know do predictions. Um in the traditional sense, you know, the, you have these um click click-through ad rate businesses, right? But in other things, like in the in the healthcare example, um, or maybe more you know, rather than Parkinson's, a better example is cancer, right? So um, we, we probably all know people who have had issues with cancer and it's actually well established in science, almost independently of the type of cancer that the earlier that you detect cancer, um, the better the survival rate, right? And it can be quite dramatic, you know, detecting two weeks in versus two months in versus uh, six months in, it's dramatic difference in, in survivability, right? And so uh, and the challenge is, uh, you know you you don't have as much data uh, up front um, but what if you have like w- models that have been built on way more data sets such that they can actually take a very small snippet of information just that first two weeks or four weeks of information and say, "Oh wow, we have to do more tests because this person actually has a real chance of having cancer right so we um w- once we have way more data where we can have um, data across many 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 hospitals at once mm-hmm. in a privacy preserving fashion, then we can have Models that can detect cancer much sooner, right? And that is like phenomenal because once we can detect cancer sooner, then we're going to have way better survival rates, right? So that's Mm -hmm. one example. Um, We're working with a company called Connected Life out of Munich that's doing this for Parkinson's detection. And um, as time goes on, you know, we're going uh, like we we're making oceans such that um, anyone can be doing this, you know, any researchers throughout the world and whatnot, right? Um, And the data silos thing. I'll just take paint a picture of what this looks like. So. it's, you know, hospitals r- really feel uneasy about their data leaving the hospital walls. And that makes sense. But what if the compute, once again, can come to the data, right? So what if you can train a model by updating the model from, you know, the data from a hospital in Munich, and the, the data from a hospital in Vancouver, and the data from a hospital in Austin, Texas, and so on, right? And mm-hmm. you've got data from 10,000 hospitals throughout the world. Now you've got actually like 10,000x, probably more data than you used to before. You know, a friend of mine, he builds models of cancer, and he said, Trent, I'm a happy man if I have a data set of 100 people. And I'm like, what if you had 100,000? He's like, oh, wow, I would have, like, died and gone to heaven, right? And so mm-hmm. this can have a dramatic impact, um, and it's just a clear win across the board. And the cool thing is we're not compromising privacy.
0: And that's due to this this kind of um, proof interaction. Like, it's, it's it's off-chain compute, so it's it's not necessarily exposing information or putting on a blockchain that's not the blockchain part how are you preserving privacy exactly
4: yeah so it's bringing the compute to the data itself right yeah. so um, so basically if, if you've got if you're a hospital and you've got um, some data um, the model gets updated um, locally um, based on your data and then that model is still sitting in the cloud itself right and then it goes to um, the next hospital the next hospital and updates the model from each right and the thing is you also want to make sure that people can't go in and reverse engineer the model. So you actually have to make it where you can only query the model a little bit at a time, right? For each new cancer prediction and that's all, right? So that's the key thing um, is uh, where you're getting the effect of you know 10,000 data sets at once, um, but uh, the data itself gets to stay behind these uh, firewalled silos, right? And so we're getting the benefits without actually having the privacy risk.
0: With uh, like, there's the future will have it so that we have things like zero knowledge proofs that allow you to actually allow you to have the data won't be siloed nearly as much it's can ocean adapt to that type of thing or does it need to work in these in these siloed circumstances
4: uh absolutely it can adapt to all of those um so to me to me the way i see it there's a spectrum um in in privacy preserving compute uh on one side you've got something fully open you know plain text where it's um obviously very efficient you know it doesn't slow down at all because it's not doing anything on the opposite e- e- extreme, you have zero-knowledge proofs uh, for certain types of computation and mm-hmm. homomorphic encryption, mm-hmm. which actually can do computations on fully encrypted data, which is, it feels like science fiction, but it's it, crazy. it actually works, right? <laughs> Yeah. And, and, but both of these, these are like very inefficient um, and don't scale well, um, except for some small classes of instances. And, but if you loosen off a little bit, then you get to multi-party compute, right? Where you've got, you know, five or 15 parties computing a little bit, each of them a little bit. Um, and that's, you know, that's softening up a bit on the privacy, not too bad, um, but it also still, ha- it's not quite mature yet, right? We're coming along, you know, networks like Enigma and others are, are doing a nice job there, right? Um, and then uh, going along uh, a bit more, you actually have um, secure Docker containers. So imagine you can bring a Docker container to your, um, to your, uh, uh, far- within your firewall and do compute, but that Docker container can't talk to the outside world. It can just do the updates. And then it talks to another Docker container and that Docker container can't do compute, but it can talk to the outside world. And that's actually um, a, a project like Fitchain are doing that. And it's not as well known as say Enigma, but it's actually, a, a, it's sort of the knee of the trade-off because you're getting really good compute. It's basically, you know, almost the same as plain text because it's, you know, just Docker container, but it's still plain text, but um, it's uh, bringing the compute to the data. So this is a very nice trade-off. There's also just to be thorough, there's um, trusted execution environments, including things like SGX, right? And those are very nice if you trust Intel, right? But as soon as a flaw is discovered in the, in the hardware, then you've got massive problems. And it seems every time Intel manufactures one of these things, within a couple of months, some researchers find a flaw, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, in theory, it's a nice idea. Um, and it, uh, I think it's a good way for researchers to practice what these interfaces look like. Because once you have an interface that, um, you know, points to this, you can just say, okay, I want MPC, I want um for encryption, I want, um, you know, uh, do- secure Docker, et cetera, right? So, you know, you can have training wheels with things like SGX, um, but as time goes on, then you can um, also have other things. So our view is, you know, SGX is out there now um, in, a basic, in some basic way. FitChain is actually quite mature. Um, well, not quite mature, but it's, it's a much simpler technology that's very practical. So, um, you know, that's going to be um, coming out with Ocean in our main release and stuff. And then as time goes on, um, things like MPC and Homework Encryption are going to be um, very useful. And with all these, by the way, it, it's important to emphasize Ocean itself um, does not do the compute itself. It doesn't do the storage itself. Instead, it pulls in these best-in-class networks, whoever wants to connect. So it's sort of a network of networks. So from a compute angle, it draws on FitChain. It draws on Enigma. You know, for pulling in data, it can use oracles like Chainlink. Um, um, and for um, sort of pure data things, it can do things like um, Filecoin and Swarm and Solid You know, on top or IPFS on top of that. Um, and of course, you can use the traditional cloud stuff too, like Amazon EC2 for compute or S3 for storage. So it's kind of all of the above. And Ocean is designed where um, these things can be brought into Ocean and connected in sort of these compute pipelines. You know, grab some data, um, build a model, store the model, et cetera, et cetera.
3: Hmm. So how how does this all spiral down to, or across, or however, what direction it's going to the to the user? Yeah. Right? There's there's a lot going on behind the scenes. Um, yeah which is typical of this tech. And, you know, the, the one of the biggest, um, I don't know, I call it a red flag, but you see a lot of the, the dApps or a lot of these blockchains, they don't have high usage. And I think one of the biggest problems that everyone's trying to put on the shelf is that the like the usability is like the translation from this really awesome idea that's solving a problem to the person that is used to just Snapchatting. Yeah. It's like such a large, ca- large chasm that they just get lost in the shuffle and they never end up using these awesome platforms or exploring these awesome possibilities. So yeah. how does that translate to them?
4: Absolutely. So there's, within, within our system, um, Ocean, uh, as I was describing a bit before, uh, the, the, the go-to-market is not going for the consumers to start with. It's, it's, going, for, it's going for the people who have data. And it's connecting those with the people who can use the data the data scientists the ai researchers right and so the people who have the data these are um big enterprises these are ngos um, uh, and uh even sometimes in some cases small startups and then the people who know how to use the data these are ai startups data scientists etc so then we we need good ux's around those right and so um from the perspective of the data scientists um, you have to ask yourself, well, what platforms do they use? You know, when they sit down to do work every day, what are they looking at, right? And um, there's actually uh, uh, well-established tools that have been around a long time that are broadly used. So that a lot of the time, these data scientists are operating in Python. And then there's um, platforms for using this. Um, the, the most popular one is called Anaconda. It has over 6 million users. And they're an advisor. Uh, <laughs> exactly. and, they're, and they're very right. much
0: a massive percentage of all the data scientists that, that, that use like, enterprise-level tools.
4: Exactly. Exactly. Right. So um, and this is our go to market with this. Right. So we work closely with Peter. You know, I was just messaging him earlier today. Right. Um, Peter Wang, the founder um, and CTO of Anaconda. Uh, so that's one example. And then also, you know, there's other tools. You know, there's a much beloved tool called Scikit Learn, which uh, is a component in Anaconda, but also independently used. And the guy, one of the main guys behind that, um, Andy Mueller, he's also an advisor. Um, and so we, we see basically that Ocean is going to be going to market via these existing established tools. Another key one is um, this sort of interactive Python, IPython, these and these notebooks kind of live online, and so what we already have running prototypes of is these notebooks talking to crypto wallets, right? So I could have a data set that myself as a data scientist with my pet data set, I can put that on um, out there serving up for other people to use. And then I can see that my wallet can just start getting ocean tokens more and more and more of them. And other people can be downloading these for free. They don't even need a crypto wallet because it's just downloading for free. But then also, if they want to be paying for them, then they can too, right? So we see that there's going to be this new interface that emerges, which kind of basically ties together these um, cloud-based data science platforms like Anaconda um, and IPython, um, the variants of that with things like MetaMask wallets and balance wallets where you've got staking and stuff, right? And so that's kind of uh, gonna be a key interface. We also see that there's other interfaces, you know, they're sort of traditional data marketplaces um, and they're uh, pretty old school in many ways, but that said, there's a lot to learn from them. And finally, there are the, the token exchanges, right? Um, you know, the Bit Bitrex of the world, et cetera. So, um, and those token exchanges might have, you know, they might list 100,000 coins. Um, but what if now with Ocean, every single data asset is its own coin? And, you know, we aspire to have, you know, not just 10,000 data assets, but 10 million, right? You know, 10 million data, data sets in your pocket. And um, so these exchanges, it's, it's going to be a new business model for them where they could be actually having a, a, a different um, sort of business that's actually serving up and buying and selling tokens mm-hmm. in these various data sets. Right. And it's mm-hmm. tokens for ownership, but, but it's also tokens related to staking. Um, where you get more tokens, the more you've staked, like I was talking about before. So that's kind of how I see it as sort of like last mile. The main thing is basically, you know, marketplaces and data science tools for, for buying data and for consuming data. Sorry, for buying slash consuming data and for serving it up. And um, this kind of kind of be related interfaces for serving up the network services too, like the compute. Um, so that that's how it's, it's fully B2B. We do see that sort of coming down the pipe after that, there is going to be consumer level apps that will just emerge where people see oh, wow, you know, I can install this extra app and it's going to basically um, be tied to you know maybe my, my Apple Pay or something else or some payment apps. And then every time I make a payment that way, it's going to have that data and it's going to share it some way and I'll get you know, an extra 1% from that somehow, right? If someone's paying me. So, but that, that's an opt-in thing, right? And mm-hmm. kind of the way to think about personal data, all of this is the idea of um, self-sovereign identity, right? Where um, you control all your data. Ideally, you're storing it locally on your phone um, or on your laptop. And then you're giving permission to others to use your data, right? And so you give keys to Facebook to use your data. You give keys to Google, etc. And at any point in time, you can revoke those keys. You can revoke those permissions, and then um, that's it. They don't have access anymore. And that's really like much healthier for sort of sovereign identity in general. And um, that's sort of the data model that that you know we're going for. And it, there's, you know, that's a large movement within the um, internet community as well. You know, there's an in, a subcommunity for internet identity. And so mm-hmm. we're, we're leveraging those ideas very strongly.
3: All right. So two quick questions uh, to wrap it up. One is our trademark question. One, I'm just curious why the name Ocean? Who came up with yeah. that? What was that? What was that? What was that about?
4: Yeah, actually, before I answer, I- I'd love to hear what you guys think it might be. Because I- I've he- heard a variety of answers. I'd love to know.
0: Ooh, turn it around on us. Hmm. Uh-huh.
4: I'll tell you let's the real see. answer, but I'm just curious. There's a lot of great don't, don't
0: tell us yet. Let let's uh yep. let's guess first. D, you go first, because yep. I'm still thinking. Um
3: because the oceans connect us. And there's a lot of them. There's a lot of ocean out there. And that's where I'm headed in that direction. Let's see.
0: Um, okay. I'm gonna ping pong it over to you, Corey. While I get my, <laughs>
1: while no, I get it's, my. It's
0: clearly it's clearly based on the heist movies. There's there's no doubt about it. The heist. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the oceans. Yeah, it's, it's clearly there's no other there's no other explanation.
3: This is yeah, the we, you know, that binds all the oceans. Yeah.
4: <laughs> we we should have called it like Oceans Twenty One or something. Hey. So. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Okay, okay, let me see if I I'm, I should be good at this, right? This is our trademark thing. We, Dr. Seuss things. Um, uh, there's a sea of data, like data could be like an ocean, and then you're connecting all the particles of the ocean. Boom.
4: Yeah, I mean, that's a, uh, so actually there are several reasons we chose. The initial inspiration was in the world of enterprises, they all, they all have these um, things that they call data lakes. Mm-hmm. So we said, what if you actually could merge all the data lakes of the world? Well, then you have an ocean of data, right? Um, oh, so I was just, so close. Yes, you were very, very have close. Have you ever heard but,
3: the term data lake, D? I've never heard the term data lake, yeah, but I'd like to swim in one.
4: Yeah, <laughs> I but okay. like, I mean, oceans are vast and all that, right? Um, and Another one that we, we had, like for fun is, you know, you know why Amazon was named? I, I, I'll turn it on you, but if you don't want it, yeah. Oh, I yeah. I um,
0: know this one.
3: Shit. Go ahead it was it was uh named because that
0: was bezos favorite spot to visit
4: good try Corey.
0: oh no i forgot i just i I don't i don't i have the shittiest memory of everyone you'll ever
4: meet so (laughs) right no so actually amazon uh he he chose it uh because it's not just the biggest river in the world it's the biggest river by far oh yeah Uh, yeah but you know no river in the world Hold the candle to any ocean of the world. So you know, oceans swallow rivers.
0: <laughs> ah, check
4: yeah. um, Bezos. So, so that's fun.: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Your move,
3: Bezos. Okay. Well, our our trademark question here. Um, I don't know which one to ask. Which version? Which iteration? Corey, Definitely blockchain. Definitely blockchain. Okay. In ten words or less, uh, can you describe blockchain? Incentive machine. Incentive
0: machine. Oh, wow, that was two words. That could be an all time record. Reasonable answer. No, some people have said, like, you know, sound money or, or all kinds. There's all, all the like stereotypical answers you got for Bitcoin, for sure. But that's true. Yeah, that's a, that's a good answer. It's yeah. how you do incentive The majority machine. of the reasons why you're actually using blockchain is for an incentive mechanism because of yeah, digital scarcity. Absolutely.
4: Uh, yeah no so this thing right like if you ask me definition of uh bitcoin i sound money is a good answer but that's an application of of blockchain right so um i actually have given talks where i i I give 10 definitions of blockchain because i don't think there's any single correct definition and it's useful to like look at it from all these different angles right from everything from like the low low level computer science nerdy definition of like linked list where the links are hashes Mm -hmm. and it's got consensus to replicate right all the way up to like the super sort of high level, um, the highest level you can go, which is like life form, like Ralph Merkel calls it, right? Mm. So, but I, I think actually like to me, the most important feature of blockchains is that they are incentive machines. They get people to do stuff by printing yep. magic internet money.
3: <laughs> I, I, I really hope all these conversations that happen in the crypto community about incentives start to break out into like the populace. I hope it leaves just crypto Twitter and it breaks out into other areas because once you start to really think about incentives and how powerful they are, I mean, it could change a
0: lot. So. I mean, they will. I mean, people are upset about a lot of the way things are run. Like you said, like we, we just now realize that we're boiling inside of a pot, and everyone is looking like it's slowly but surely everyone's starting to realize this. And as they do mm. that, they're going to look for answers, and like I think this space is desperately trying to provide those answers. So it'll bleed into that yep. that larger community.
4: And I think the space has an answer, right? Like, if you think about what a corporation is, it is a way to organize humans where they the incentives are all aligned towards providing maximum shareholder value, right? But that um, you know uh, ignores all the people outside of the corporation who are getting screwed over. Then, right? You know, um, by by me using Facebook, I'm not getting um, I'm not sharing that value creation of the shares of Facebook, right? And blockchains uh, instead, you know, they organize people. If I own Bitcoin, then I'm part of the Bitcoin community and the more Bitcoin I own, the more I am part of that community. But I don't have to own Bitcoin to be part of the community. It's just a very health healthy way to align. I can also be a core dev or something else, right? I can be promoting it in whatever way, having podcasts, right? And um, so I think you know, uh, at the heart though, um, the tokens, especially though, they, they because they're sort of accessible to everybody who wants to participate in buying them and then adding value to the ecosystem um, by you know earning them. Um, then that's the way that you align everyone, right? So it's a permissionless way to add value to to um to Ocean or to Bitcoin, et cetera, right? So it, it is really, you know, re- rewriting what it means to be an organization. Um and um in or the flip side, it's rewriting how incentives are structured um as mm-hmm. a way to organize people.
0: I agree with absolutely that. Quite, fully. quite fully. Well blue wrap, that's it. All right, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, before we leave, uh, you. do you want to give a shout-out to anybody or, or is there any questions we didn't ask you you want to say or how do people get a hold of you?
4: Uh, let's see here. So I guess uh, if people want to get a hold of me, um, they can go to my personal site. It's trent.st, and there's a contacts um, thing there, so that's um, that's where they can see my email and stuff. It's Or it's you know, gtrent at gmail or trent at ocean protocol, maybe I should say. I'm trying to get rid of my Gmail. Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, bit by bit, right? Uh, you know, I'm on DuckDuckGo for search and I'm on Brave browser and all that, but, you know, bit by bit, right? So um, if, if anyone has a good solution for, um, you know, decentralized web-based email, please build it and let me know. I'm happy to adopt it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> all right. Well, thank you very much, sir. Thank you for swinging by. Thanks, guys. And that was the interview with the CEO of the Ocean Protocol, Mr. Trent McConaughey or McConaughey. Uh, one, one of the two. We're sorry, Trent, man. That's really bad on us. But at the same time, it's going to be memorable for everyone that listened. So check out the Ocean Protocol. Um, it's kind of neat. That's why I wanted to get him on the show. I was like, oh, that looks pretty nifty stuff. Um,
0: it has it to be some McConaughey.
3: TV. It has to be McConaughey. I think it's
2: McConaughey, too. It has to be. I think it is. It's good that didn't say McConaughey, then. McConaughey.
3: I think I just did say McConaughey. You said it first. You definitely said that first. Anyways. <clears throat> um, we're going to try something new. We we haven't done this before, but uh, it's like call-ins for a radio show. So if you are a member of the Slack, you're about to receive this message that I'm going to send to the Slack right now. I'm going to push a button on my phone to send a message. And we have a bunch of lights on our desk, and we're like, yeah. Yeah. caller, number, caller one. number one. Caller number one coming at you. So let's see. Push the button. Shut it, up. It would be crazy if, like, we push this button and like, nobody comes. Yeah, well, if there's people who are asking about it,
0: I'm sure somebody's going to come.
3: Push the button. It would be really. It would be funny if I had to, like, fake a push. Push the called. button. I pushed to the button.
0: I don't see the message already.
3: Look, in general, it should be I'm there. I'm watching general. Oh, there it is.
0: Hey, guys,
2: long-time
3: listener, first-time caller. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to just be faking voices. Hey, guys, how's it going?
0: How many people are going to take is... first? Just take one and then yeah. see how it goes. Who? All right, uh, uh, D, you're in charge. You get to accept deny people. Okay, let me see. And if you, if you abuse this privilege, it'll be taken away from you.
3: All right. Well then, what if we all abuse it and no one has the privilege anymore? I'm the administrator. We're all the administrator on this. I'll I'll revoke your administrator privileges. All right, it's a cool experiment. So right now, <laughs> while no one's in there, um, what we can talk about is Zcash. Proclaiming it, there's a new. Uh, it looks like a new narrative they're trying to push, where they're the HTTPS of cryptocurrency.
0: Oh yeah. Which which is kind of neat. The thing about Zcash is that... I can kind of see how that works. Whoa,
3: that's if everybody... analogy. The, I can see the analogy here. I, see, I get the analogy. But the thing about Zcash is very interesting. Is I'm not 100% sure that team is like... I think that's why Zcash is doing so well. Because they're not focusing on making Zcash the currency or the anything. They're just doing really sound research and submitting really sound... Uh, like, like, you, Brad, like I'm gonna go ahead
0: and let you that? know that the link that you put is that the right, right. channel? Oh, yeah, it is. Ray yep. Redacted. Somebody's coming. Ray Redacted. Ray Redacted. Hello, Ray.
3: Hey guys. Good morning.
0: Hey, you're here. You're oh on. wow. You're our first live ah. caller.
5: Awesome. Well, it is. Uh, <laughs> it is good to be here. How's everybody doing today?
0: Good. Why don't you uh, – oh, well, you've already been on the show. Why don't you give people an introduction real quick? Who are you?
5: Yeah, so I'm Ray Redacted. I'm a cybersecurity researcher who is uh, – I was on the I was on the Bitcoin podcast a few episodes ago talking about uh, the ever-popular XRP topic, but that's not what I'm calling about today, Corey.
0: Awesome.
4: I'm
5: really? actually calling to get uh, Dr. Corey Petty's opinion – about the event stream uh, 3.36 backdooring last week that uh, affected several bitcoin wallets
0: yeah i uh i as you can imagine working at the status as the security engineer i definitely understood what was going on and have since i think it throws a wrench in how you develop open source software and the types of security guarantees you can you can have around like around it right it, because most software development these days has a drastic amount of dependencies when you're building your own software because you like basically outsource certain functionality to other developers and those developers may or may not actually give a shit about the things they're developing and may and for like people that don't know basically what happened is a developer had a very popular package that was submitted to a package manager for for Node.js and uh someone feigned interest to become the maintainer after he had stopped caring about maintaining this very popular package. And so uh-huh. in light of uh, trying to keep the package alive to someone who he thought at the time cared about it, gave him all of the privileges for maintaining that package in which he basically then inserted a bunch of malicious code. And then that code got bled into all of the people who de- who depended on that package to build their own software. And it specifically targeted uh, wallets from bitpay's copay um, that said, like was in everyone like a tremendous amount of people's software uh, sure. and but if you were if if you happened to be copay it then stole a bunch of funds from your wallet and so as someone who develops open source software and has a bunch of dependencies it scares the living shit out of me sure what what do you think well
5: Well, you know, and this isn't the first time. I mean, this is actually it's an escalation of a pattern of three or four different times that open source components have been targeted by people that wanted to profit off of it. I mean, if we go all the way back to even dual elliptical curve pseudo random number generator, which was widely considered to be backdoored by uh, NSA, right, Mm -hmm. Uh, going all the way back to 2004, um, there's always been this almost over reliance on the trustworthiness of open source components, right? Because even though everyone says, well, it'll be audited by thousands of people, the reality is, as we saw with things like Heartbleed, people just don't have the time to go through every single little piece and component uh, that goes into software. And so it is a little bit disturbing to me. I don't know. Did they get away with a bunch of uh, of Bitcoins this time? Did they steal a bunch of stuff this time? Or was it just I believe they
0: got a few wallets? Yeah. So it just just happened to be it happened to be discovered by like on accident, basically.
5: Yes. Well, one of the things that was kind of nefarious about this one was he actually did it used an older version so that it would be Mm -hmm. less likely to gain attention. Right. Mm -hmm. It wasn't even the latest. It wasn't Mm -hmm. even the absolute latest downstream or I guess upstream uh, dependent component. Right. It was a little bit older. But um, so if you're one of the people who had your your Bitcoin stolen by one of these wallets, I mean who's at fault? I mean you can't really blame BitPay, can yeah. you? Uh,
0: I okay, think this, this is, is actually where I I think I have an unpopular opinion. I blame the original maintainer of the package for handing it off to someone who he didn't vet. Uh based on the tremendous amount of dependencies that were relying upon it at the time, it is his responsibility to at least mark it abandoned to allow people to fork it so that people can make better decisions about switching to that new fork or to vet the person uh, based on GitHub commits previous history. So anything whatsoever, instead of just handing off the maintenance of that package to someone he doesn't know that has no history or at least looking into their history. I, I put full responsibility on him and other people say it should like he shouldn't have to bury that responsibility based on a toy project that he made that happened to get popular.
5: Well, yeah, Corey, if, if you go, if you take that to its logical extreme, then anytime somebody does anything for the open source community, if it's their moral responsibility to vet whoever they pass it off to, whoever they give ownership to next, then what do you do when you get social engineered by some con man that, you know, is it in his fault if, if he didn't, if he, if he got fooled by the new guy, the new control nine guy almost immediately took advantage of the trust, right? I mean, it was not like they yeah. sat dormant for a long time.
0: Oh, well, then, right, the logical conclusion of that is don't ha- don't pass off maintainability and only rely on forks.
5: Yeah, I mean, I, I can see that. I just you don't you also don't want there to be a chilling effect on people contributing to open source projects either,
0: okay, right? Well, yeah, I guess. Well, the, the 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 buck doesn't stop with the maintainer. It, it is our responsibility as open source software developers to uh, vet the dependencies that we have, and then if it's if it is, especially with the crypto space, if you because code is basically money in a lot of circumstances mm-hmm. um, you need to not offload that responsibility or dependency on someone else if it has anything to do with the security of your of your application
5: so in other words you would be okay if there were lawsuits filed against the original maintainer for handing it off irresponsibly
0: you're on the record oh man
1: <laughs> no I don't know I don't have an answer to that
3: uh-oh. He said I plead the fifth. Yeah. One, two, three, four. Fifth. Well, I can guarantee you, Dimitri,
5: that no open source software authors ever want to open themselves up to litigation yeah. for any reason
3: whatsoever, right? This is this kind of sucks because stuff like this to me is like tying the shoelaces together in the race for mass adoption. Because anyone who's even close enough to flirt with this technology and then they see this. And then that rabbit hole gets deeper and deeper, and then they have to learn about open source development, and then they have to learn about open source communities, and then they have to – you know what I mean? It's just so much
0: friction. I see it as a necessary evil because this, this problem has lain dormant forever in the open source software community, and, mm-hmm. and cryptocurrency has incentivized it to come to light right there's there's a reason why this is happening is cuz people can steal money doing this type of behavior whereas previously mm-hmm. it wasn't nearly as profitable to do so and this is a problem that needs to be addressed somehow or another and so if you're going to hail open source software development you need to understand the consequences and this brings to light those types of consequences
5: yeah and i mean i think i think in terms of like i've heard marcelo say this before that you you can't trust anyone right in a trustless environment you you have to trust absolutely no one including including you know your wallet providers basically right i mean that's the that's Mm. the challenge of of being in a trustless environment
3: it's pirates of the dark water out there in the crypto world (laughs)
5: yeah but that being said i think we will see some changes implemented because of this because it has been an escalation and i i do think that there's a a overdue conversation going on in the open source community about you know how do we prevent this one because i guess I guess you know if you got your wallet, your Bitcoin stolen this time. This was catastrophic, but in the grand scheme of things, it could have been a lot worse.
0: Yeah, Very true. There could have been a different package. It could have been something that like hit a lot more different people. Oh, got I a new we guy. People, another we got person. another caller, Ray.
3: Thank you.
5: All for right, your guys, topic have a great day. We'll, uh, we'll. I'll be listening to you this week. See ya. That, that
3: was, was awesome, later, bro. Next caller. <laughs> nice transition, Joe. <Charlie. laughs> We have uh, Mark, fake last name. Mark, uh, what's your name? What do you do? Oh, I'll try to really radio talk show this shit up. Uh, what do you do? Where are you
6: from? Uh, <clears throat> I'm from California, and I, I actually work at a casino. Nice. nice. What do you do? Are you a pit boss? Uh, no, I'm a dealer.
0: Uh, I have a pit boss friend. He does a lot uh, of work. <laughs>
3: You're talking about casinos. Yeah. Oh, I didn't have to put the man's last name out there like yeah, that's that. Weird. Sorry. That's bad. extra rude. Sorry. My bad. So, what can we do for you, my friend? Yeah, man. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast Roundtable.
6: Thank you very much. Uh, I'm curious uh what are your guys' uh ideas on what is the most important like contribution of Bitcoin? Like is it sound money or is it censorship resistance or avoiding surveillance state and financial system or what do you guys think? my votes sound money off the bit. if those are the choices I have. okay,
0: what is sound money? Voting. Can you explain that to me sound what's, money, what's your definition of sound money?
3: sound money? Sound money is not my definition. The definition is money that's not like controlled. it's not printed. it's not fiat. it's not issued by a country. It's not owned by anyone. It's some totally inanimate instrument that we all have agreed is what we use to build commerce on top of. I and mean, we don't have sound money in the world right now. Right now, the closest thing to sound money we have is nothing because everybody's using dollars and oil to do stuff. I, I guess oil's-
0: What about Bitcoin? Low. Bitcoin is now the closest thing to sound money. Is what you're saying? Yep. That's, that's, that's that's your that's contribution. Cello, do you have an answer to that? Or are you dealing with babies? No, I'm, uh,
2: the greatest contribution that Bitcoin's had to the space is allowing people to be their own bank And to educate themselves, Um, uh, you know, getting out the middleman and taking ownership of their own assets, I think, is monumental. And people don't talk about that as much as they should.
0: And my answer is different because I'm more interested in the underlying technology that like the, the trustless consensus mechanisms that allowed this type of technology to be built in the first place. Like I like the computational or computational Computer science problem that was solved with distributed consensus. I think that's the most important thing because if you don't have that, you can't build things like sound money. Mark, Can you just what do you
6: substitute? Think? Yeah, Mark, what do you think? Uh, I certainly lean towards the sound money aspect. I think that for me, at least, the important part of that is the disinflationary, or I mean, even just the fixed inflationary rate of Bitcoin is the key. For me personally,
0: isn't that cool how it's like the only thing that we've ever known or it's ever been in existence that we, we know exactly how much money sh- is possible to be in circulation at the time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. That's kind of scary, I think, too,
3: though, to regulators and, and to entities that are the incumbents right now is that they their value is by creating the known in that unknown, right? Like, hey, we're the central entity and we're gonna tell you when we print money. And we're gonna tell you what the value of things are. And that's our value. That's why you should value us. But with Bitcoin, it's like, no, that's how much money's in circulation and that's how much of you know, this is this is all the money. This is where it's located. This is and and you know exactly how much money is coming in, you know exactly at what dates approximately not exactly, but a approximation of you know, how much is going to be out there. It's just, um, a much different, much different tool, financial tool. So,
6: yeah. When, uh, Andreas was testifying in front of the uh, Canadian Senate, he, they were asking him if, you know, if that, uh, fixed uh, supply was going to be a problem in terms of, uh, you know, price fluctuating and with demand changing and supply remaining the same. And he basically responded like, we may not know that this is the right way, but, if it's not, then other cryptos can come up, we can change things or whatever uh it seems to him at least in that sense, the uh idea of competitive currencies in a sense is important wasn't that wasn't that like three years ago? yeah, it was a while ago okay I mean yeah. I don't know if he still holds the same views, but
0: i don't, uh, know. I, don't I don't know I'm still on the fence on we're going to have a one blockchain to rule them all world or just a tremendous amount of like competing blockchains in a long tail with varying, you know, values associated to them. I I haven't quite decided which, which way I want to feel about that.
3: It's a good thought exercise to compare both a good old fashioned world comparison from philosophy. One Oh one. I don't know. Um, I think, for the sake of efficiency, one chain to rule them is probably best. It tends to be best. But um What if there's uh, a problem with it? Fix it. What, I mean, I'm sorry, no, what if it's like a catastrophic problem? Like talking about computers <laughs> catastrophic here. Problem? Yeah. Then you roll that shit back and hard fork and make sure bear's not around to see you do it. <laughs> 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 no. But I I will I will say a lot of people a lot of economists say what are you gonna do with twenty one million units?
0: That's that's a yeah. that's a wrong way to look at it. Yeah, that's it's, that's it's what I arbitrary say. Arbitrary number. It's well twenty one times ten to the what eighteen or something like that.
3: Yeah, it, it, you know it's it's so divisible and it's kind of an arbitrary number. But even Satoshi said it. I mean um, Joe Joe Blau put it in uh, Slack. He said, the, Satoshi said, the reason balance of the system is important, if it's going to be used for payments, you don't want to have large changes in the value of the coins, it would lead to distortions, I believe, by continually increasing the purchasing power of a single coin. And so that's something that we haven't said in a while on this show, but it's something that I used to swear by, and that is like the purchasing power of a Bitcoin has to increase by like orders and orders of magnitude in order for this to work as a currency system.
0: So. Does it have to be monotonic? Does it have to be stable? By monotonic, I mean it basically goes one direction, not up and down and volatile like it is now.
3: Well, it is going one direction. If you zoom out, it's it's a logarithmic function, and it's creasing up and over. Uh, on average. You mean like locally? Yeah. It's got a – that's a good question. Mark,
2: know. do you listen to One Direction? <laughs> <laughs>
6: Not so much.
0: (laughs) What kind of music do you listen to? Uh,
6: I guess a wide range. I mean,
0: hip-hop, indie. Do you find cellos, cellos, random videos put in the random channel useful to you?
6: (laughs) Uh, Useful or entertaining. Good. (laughs) Yeah, good.
0: just keep changing.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Mark, am I, am I missing out by not listening to Muse?
6: Uh, you're missing out by not listening to what you don't know that you like. So if you don't like them, you don't miss out.
2: I like that answer. I'm going to spend all yeah. day on Spotify. Listening to a, things that I don't know. I don't
0: like that answer. That was a scapegoat answer. <laughs> you don't want to offend Cello. <laughs> offend <Paul>. him. <laughs>
3: you're well, dumb. Every day you're dumb, Cello. You should be listening
0: discovered. to Muse.
3: I think, this is cool. We've had two callers. I don't know if we're going to get any more.
0: I don't oh, know. It the whole board
3: is, is lit up. There's like 40 callers. I just don't oh. know if we have time. Oh, yeah. don't know if we have time.
0: <laughs> yeah, so don't, don't know if we have time, guys. There's so many people calling in well, like, to the line. Ray is still here. He didn't hang up. He's been a fly on the wall. So we go ahead and join back yeah. in our conversation.
1: I
5: figured it's a sneaky way of being able to hear it live recorded, yeah. but you just dial in and then you're saying, well, I'm afraid to drop off. I was afraid to make a tone or yeah. something.
2: Well, yeah. Even Good though your call. video's not on, I got to commend you for your Beto sticker. I see it. See in the back, because we're from Texas. <laughs>
5: <laughs> well, oh, that's my wife's, and that was horrible upset on my part, to, to make that visible.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: You're well, very aware of what I me. read by looking at my screen.
3: I think that we have a much higher percentage of getting more callers if we do this at a more amenable time. But on the West Coast, it's like, what, 7 in the morning? Right? Yeah, I, Taylor,
0: Taylor from yeah. My crypto complains every single time we bring her on the show because it's she has there to get up early, make sure she, the baby's taken care of, get her coffee and all that, and then get on at 7 because for some reason we decided to do round tables at 10 o'clock Eastern time on Saturdays. Yep.
2: So well, it's, it's the only time where we're all three guaranteed not to be doing anything.
5: I, I'm really not kidding, guys. I think if you let your Patreons or your Slack channel people dial in and listen live to the roundtable, I think you'll get a ton of people that, w- that will dial in just for that purpose and nothing else.
0: That'd be cool. I we're going to keep experimenting. I guess our, my connection's fine. I worry about other people's connection ruining the quality of the audio that we, we pull from meat.
5: Uh, let's see. You if if them, that right?
0: becomes a problem, then we'll have to kind of, I guess, uh, mitigate it somehow. But uh, until then, fuck it. Yep. Well, I guess we can wrap. Right?
3: This is this was kind of a neat experiment. I really want to see if this this grows and we have like so many callers uh-huh. and we get some great opinions and great questions from everyone. So Thank for you, the people,
2: yeah, the
0: forty people that didn't get in, you know, call it next <laughs> week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mark Ray, is there something y'all want to say while you're here? Here's your chance.
5: Well, we love the show, man. Keep it up, guys.
0: Sweet. That's easy to do. I agree with that one. Yeah. yeah. We, we can do thank that. You. That's really easy. Thanks for making it easy on us. Yep. <laughs> well,
2: um, thanks, that's Mr. It. We gonna... Redacted and Mr. Fake Last Name. Appreciate it.
0: The <laughs> 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 two people that joined the show uh, for those last names. Yes. Those are real last names.
1: <laughs>
3: yep. Uh, thank, uh, there's another week of the Bitcoin podcast. Um, thank you guys for listening. We're trying some new stuff uh in this bearish market. the bitcoin price is what forty one hundred out about that at the time of recording ether's down to one twenty um yeah, I got nothing more to add. you guys got stuff to add
1: no. yeah if
2: the if the price of Bitcoin is making you sad, we released a flashback episode where the price of bitcoin was $389. So you see what we talk about when the market was at that point. So quit your bitching. <laughs> quit your bitching.
1: <laughs>
3: all right. Well, that's it. You know all the stuff we do go to the bitcoinpodcast.com, the network. Yeah. Uh we have a blog mediancom blog. There's like a newsletter there and some some musings from Corey, myself, Colin, um, what else do we do? We do lots of things. Just go to the Bitcoin Pod. Oh, cello! Should I tell them about the thing where they can record their voice and then yeah, upload? Yep, it? Do that? Yeah, for sure. It's up, but it's kind of janky. It's still kind of listed under our Medium webpage, so we need to kind of fix it Why up. Why did you bit. do that? I was testing it and then forgot to untest it. I forgot it's your an, testing it's procedures.
0: Or, drive me insane. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to test right. this new feature let's broadcast the channel and in the, in the, like, broadcast from the general channel and not say anything it's like a pilot episode I'm going to test this new feature I'm going to hijack one of the links on the tab of our of our main site and see if it works <laughs> that's that's how I roll that's baby that's not how testing alpha. works alpha <laughs> testing that's how we do it uh, alright D's gone see you later D uh that's right that's it i'm not gonna spend a lot of time wrapping up so play the outro